0: Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show, I'm Bridget Maloney.
1: And I'm obstetrician, Dr. Patrick Maloney, and this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this.
0: Well, welcome everyone. This is episode 44 of The Kick Pregnancy Podcast. Hi, everybody. And today, we're actually going to talk about the words that you may or may not hear during your labour, which is, your baby's in distress. Hmm. And this came from a follower on our Instagram account. I'm just going to read a bit of her message, because I think it will really set the scene for this podcast. Yeah. She says, the words I remember hearing was, your baby is distressed, we need forceps, and downhill we went. I was hysterical and begged for a C-section. I wanted my baby out alive not that he ever was in any great danger. Mm. I'm hoping that maybe you could talk in one of your up-and-coming podcasts what's happening to the baby's heart rate during labour and what it means when your baby is becoming distressed. I remember hearing my baby's heart rate and asking my husband every five minutes if the baby was okay. When I heard the words, your baby's distressed, I thought my baby would die, and this is all I thought until I held him. I didn't enjoy any aspect of his birth and wish there was more education on when things don't go according to plan. So... I've actually had this said to me too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's why we're here, isn't it? Yeah. To increase the education Mm. because what I'm sure that woman's doctors meant Mm. is not what perhaps they said. Yes. And then not what she heard. Yeah. 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 So... Sometimes when we talk about fetal distress, that's that's actually a little bit of an old-fashioned term that we're trying to move away from. It's a bit too general. It Mm. describes too many different clinical situations. Yeah. There's another term that probably works a bit better called suspected fetal compromise, Mm. where we just suspect it. It's very hard to know what, exactly what's going on in there with the baby.
0: Yeah. Even that sounds a bit wordy, don't you think?
1: Well, yes. I think we're God, str- if
0: I think my baby's compromised, uh, that yeah. would pan- panic <laughs> me just as much.
1: We're, well, yeah, that's right. Well, we're struggling to find the words around it. But what we're talking about is a situation where we think on our monitoring that there's a problem. Mm. But, of course, sometimes there's not. Yeah. So we really want to get to the heart of exactly what's going on and then do a better job of communicating to the patient whether we think this is a lights and sirens mm. emergency or whether we think we'd just rather have the baby out within, say, half an hour mm. or whether all of this suspected problem is happening at five centimetres. Mm. We're miles away from having you know, first baby and we're miles away from having the baby out. And perhaps the plan might be better changed to caesarean section.
0: Yeah, I just want to clarify that point about first baby. So, somebody in their second or subsequent labour. They might be five centimetres and it might go very quickly from there.
1: Yes, we've all seen that. So yes. some, some, maybe maybe, a woman's having her third vaginal birth mm. and she runs into some sort of trouble at five centimetres like a uh, uh, the CTG, the trace of the fetal heartbeat, is showing a pattern that we know corresponds in, in the majority of cases to a, a problem. Mm. So we think, okay, well, maybe we need to do a cesarean section here because we're only five centimetres. And just when we're getting all the team ready and the porter from theatre arrives to push the trolley downstairs, there's, the baby comes out. Yeah. Okay.
0: But that's not often the case in a first No. Birth. Yeah. No,
1: because the first labour, as we've discussed in you know, a number of previous uh, podcasts, it tends to be slower. Yeah. And the progress from zero centimetres to 10 centimetres tends to be more linear. Yes. Okay. One centimetre per hour-ish. Sometimes yeah. a bit faster, sometimes a bit slower, but often linear, whereas the second and subsequent babies might go like that up to about five centimetres and then much more quickly from then on.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, we've already opened lots of different directions I want to take this conversation. So, firstly, when do people hear that? Like, it's not – they wouldn't likely hear it when they go for a 20-week scan or something. It's it's during labour that we're talking no, about. No, we're talking
1: about in-labour yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's there's different names and different scenarios for babies that have got problems beforehand. Yeah. yeah. Out of labour. Yeah. So this is an in-labour situation where we might be doing some appropriate monitoring and something changes that makes us think that the baby is not coping well Mm. with the forces of labour.
0: Yeah, because we don't really think about that, do we? We think about the force of labour on our on ourselves and mm-hmm. on our body, the birthing mum. Yeah. But actually for the baby itself. Like it's they're getting day. squished and it's a big yeah. day. Yeah. It's a big
1: big day for the baby. That's yeah. right. So what we try to do is assess the situation as being sort of standard risk or high risk mm. so that we can make a decision towards the in conjunction with the woman as to the appropriate level of monitoring to do for that labour. Mm. And lots of people of course are low risk and they don't need continuous fetal monitoring, they need a listen from time to time Mm. throughout the labour of the fetal heartbeat, ideally during and then just after a contraction.
0: And is that just by the Doppler or is that the whole CTG? No,
1: just with the Doppler. Okay. Yeah. So maybe
0: just describe what that is.
1: So the Doppler is the little handheld device that the doctor or midwife might put on your tummy just to listen to the fetal heart alone. Yeah. And that's a good thing for a low-risk situation because we just want to listen from time to time to make sure that the baby's heart rate is in the normal range. Mm. And in particular, that immediately after a contraction, the heart rate doesn't drop Mm. dramatically after a contraction because that's one of the more concerning, most concerning patterns. A
0: woman might hear the word decel or something. Is that -hmm.
1: right? That's deceleration. That's right. And the other thing, of course, what we've talked about is the CTG. That's the strap around your tummy. Mm. There's two straps. One measures the fetal heart rate continuously using a little ultrasound probe. And the other one measures the tightenings in the uterine wall.
0: Yeah. And that's where you can see that little graph that gets spat out. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: the graph that comes out of the machine is graphing fetal heart rate and the uterine contraction versus time.
0: Mm-hmm. And someone that's going and progressing nicely and, and there's no real concern, how often would that CTG strap be put on?
1: Well, in a low risk situation, it might not be put on at all. Yeah, uh, We might have a quick lesson when the woman first arrives mm. and then she may not Need that at all? Mm. Then, as the labour progresses, something might change, which ups our level of suspicion that something might be wrong.
0: And what are those things?
1: Well, a good example is the development of meconium lycos. So, oh, yeah. let's say the waters have broken, and all the water that's coming out is clear. Then suddenly, there's all the fetal poo comes out in the mm. in the water, staining the water, and we know that that's new. We know that the baby's done a poo during the labour because the water was clear and now it's not. Mm. And that's not considered a, a very normal thing to happen. The baby shouldn't be that worried that it does a big poo. And it ups our level of concern about how that baby's coping.
0: Can a baby do a poo in the like uh, lycor before labour? Is is it when you say you know that it's fresh, I suppose because it was clear to begin with. Yeah but that's so- right.
1: That's how you tell the difference. Yeah. There's also a slight difference in the appearance between fresh meconium and old meconium. and experience. Well, experienced (laughs) carers can just tell the difference. It just looks different. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that might change might be the commencement of a syntosin on infusion. So Mm. for example, you've come in, it's your first baby, you're at term and you're laboring away fine. But over progressive internal examinations, there's not much of a change in the dilation of the cervix. So despite the woman appearing to be in good labor, we're not getting where we need to go mm. so after discussion with the patient risks and benefits we might start up a syntosinon infusion and we know that when a on infusion is running the downside to that is a slightly higher risk that the baby would go into what used to be called distress mm. and you know one of the many ways that that can happen is if we give too much of the syntocinone mm. and don't give the baby a breather between contractions so, if we overstimulate the uterus, have too many contractions in each 10 minute period, the baby will not, object. Get, <laughs> object, not get enough oxygen between the contractions, and that would be reflected in a continuous CTG.
0: And is it a good idea if the syntocinins backed off a little bit? Can a baby sort of recover yes, absolutely. from there okay right
1: yeah absolutely we'll get on to that because because okay, that, that's important that there's a concept called uh, intrauterine resuscitation you can change the situation by doing good things yes. but while the baby's still inside
0: okay Good. All right, we've worked out how the baby's in distress. So, who picks that up? Is it? Is it just whoever's with you—the midwife, or or the doctor that comes in, or.
1: Yep. So anyone looking caring for you in labour is trained in the interpretation of CTGs. Mm. And the standard situation might be that I might get a call from midwife looking after one of my patients in labors and she might say, look, I'm concerned about the trace. Mm.
0: Um, I hear those phone calls, the D-cells. And yeah, <laughs> so
1: that, yeah, so there's problems with just the overall pattern. There, mm. are, there are patterns that correlate with a baby that's not managing. The fetal heart rate might be too high or too low. hmm and there might be decelerations in the fetal heart rate. Some of those have a normal pattern and some have an abnormal pattern. Mm. So the next thing that happens is that we've got a trace that says there might be a problem. And the the next thing to do is to try and work out whether that's real or not. Mm. So part of that is looking at the overall situation of how that woman's managing in labor. And sometimes, you can test a little further, mm. and some birthing units have the capacity to take a sample of blood from a vein on the baby's head.
0: Yeah, what's that called again?
1: It's called a fetal venous blood sample, and oh. and so, is that
0: the little twisty corkscrewy thing that goes in their head? No, no, I guess no, something that, different.
1: No, no, that's different. That, that's just another way of picking up the fetal heart rate trace. Oh,
0: okay. Yep. So
1: let's say we've got a problem getting a good trace on the baby with the strap that goes around the mm. tummy. Then, like for example, it just keeps falling off or something, then we can uh, run a cable, a little tiny cable up the vagina through the cervix and onto the baby's head. And that'll pick up the heart rate trace just as nicely.
0: Does that, um, sort of breach the skin or is that just yeah, something-
1: a little tiny bit? Yeah. It's got a tiny little sort of a spiral on the end and it just screws into the baby's scalp just a little bit. It's yeah. not harmful at all. That's called a fetal scalp electrode mm-hmm. and it's a way to get a, a very reliable trace on the fetal heart mm. uh, without needing that one of those straps around the tummy. Now, what I was referring to was taking an actual sample of fetal blood to measure the pH yeah, right. and the lactate. It's more invasive, but it's done with a speculum that goes in the vagina and you can look up the vagina and see through the cervix mm. and you can see through the partially dilated cervix and you can see part of the head. Mm. And then you put a tiny little instrument up onto the head and make a tiny cut in the, in the scalp and a bead of blood will appear, Mm. and you can suck that little bit of blood up, send it to the lab, and it'll tell you whether the baby really is or really isn't troubled.
0: And, you know, that all sounds like it would take a long time. Hmm,
1: It can take sort of 15, 20 minutes to do, and and then there's often a machine in labour board that will quickly analyse the result. Yeah. It's a really useful way of working out whether the abnormal fetal heart rate trace is a false alarm or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's not in use in every birthing unit in the world, but it's certainly something that's reasonably commonly done.
0: And what would you choose as your method if you felt that the baby was in distress?
1: My method, like I, I guess most labour carers, is to try our best to work out what do we really think is going on
0: mm.
1: and how long do we still have to go? Yeah. What do we need to do here? So whether or not you've got access to fetal um, scalp blood sampling or not, we use our judgment and our experience Mm. to try and work out exactly what we think is going on Mm. and for example if we think there's a problem with fetal heart rate trace like the heart rate keeps decelerating in a a way that we find concerning but the woman is fully dilated Mm. then we can use an instrumental birth to cut to the chase Mm. if you like to remove uncertainty by just getting the baby out nice and quickly yeah yeah? and Uh, into the arms of the pediatricians and they can do their thing You're listening to The Kick with Dr Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy?
0: When I was pregnant all the time, Dr Pat.
1: We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts?
0: Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast... Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at.
1: It's taken us literally two years to put it together.
0: Two long, hard years, wasn't it?
1: (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given.
0: Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant, in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group.
1: We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four.
0: Oh, just all the people you need to hear from.
1: So if that's you... Can Come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au.
0: And I know probably what the answer to this will be. Is that forceps or is it that vacuum or depends on... How much th- heads on the show? <laughs> yeah, whatever
1: we think is appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So this situation, you want your carer to make an assessment mm. and to follow the rules about whether it's a safe thing to do. Mm. So the woman who who yeah. contacted us, my feeling is that she had an idea mm. that instrumental births were perhaps a last resort, mm. that they were dangerous, that they were going to harm her baby. Mm. And in fact, if they're used properly, they should really be none of those things. Mm. For example, let's say the cervix is fully dilated. The baby is almost out, Mm. but the fetal heart rate trace is very alarming. Mm. The fetal heart rate has dropped to 60 beats per minute and won't won't come back up. Well, in that scenario, any risks involved in doing a quick forceps delivery in experienced hands... It would be way worse to do nothing.
0: Yeah, and way better to do that than go through the getting this theatre set up or whatever to do an emergency caesarean.
1: Absolutely, that's the yeah. other thing she mentioned. She said, yeah. Why can't I have a caesar? Well, a caesarean section performed when the performed when the cervix is fully dilated yeah. is complicated and a little risky. Yeah. The baby's nearly out, and you've got to push it back up the other way.
0: Yeah,
1: much better in that scenario. To do a instrumental delivery, yes. If the person doing that procedure is experienced, their judgment's right, and that the head's in the correct position to allow that to be done safely.
0: Yeah. Now we interchange terms sometimes. We talk about that as assisted birth. So in our previous episodes, you might have heard that term, assisted birth, you know, interchanged with instrumental. Sure. And for first time labourers, Yeah, it's about a third of babies are born via an instrumental or assisted birth. Is that right?
1: For first-timers. First-timers, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, roughly speaking. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, it's not rare. Yeah. And it's something that I think people really want to learn something about. Yeah. Because with your first birth, it may well happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm going to put a plug in for our program here. So, you know, we have that as its own separate bundle. So we go through all the ways that could you could have your baby Mm. in separate bundles. So there's vaginal birth, there's assisted birth, there's caesarean birth. So, you know, you're really well prepared and educated. And I think that was what the poster's comment was, you know, why can't we be educated about this? Yeah. Well, you can. Well, you can. (laughs) Come and join us on our program. Yeah,
1: I think think that's right. So, you know, because of COVID at the moment, the hospital antenatal classes Mm. aren't on and people are saying, you know, what am I missing out on? And to be honest, when it comes to some of those harsh realities of having your first baby... My answer is not much. Yes. We, we haven't covered this well.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: And obstetricians, for some reason, over the last hundred years, have sort of been guilty of keeping some of this stuff a secret. Mm. That forceps births and vacuum births happen. That they have risks and benefits, mm. and that they're part of the toolkit. Mm. And I think a motivated, well-informed patient wants to know about that stuff. Mm. It doesn't mean that you will be left to make the decision yourself. Absolutely not. Mm. It'll just mean that when your carer says, look, we've got a problem here, Mm. and what I'm going to recommend is that we get the baby out faster than we would achieve just with you pushing.
0: Yeah. Because the art of pushing or the act of pushing is also quite stressful for baby, isn't it? Yeah, baby's
1: got to get out somehow though. So we say it it might take you 50 minutes to push this baby out. I think the baby needs to be out in five minutes. Mm. And here's my suggestion about how we achieve that. I don't think that should be the first time the woman's ever heard about the the existence of forceps. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: I am going to talk about my own birth. First birth (laughs) here, and that is that I did labour in a birthing centre for a very, very long time and very much wanted low intervention and kind of objected to any assistance to the point where one of the midwives said, well, I think it's time to break your waters. And there was meconium in the waters. Mm -hmm. Don't know whether that was new or old. That's why I was asking what colour. And from there, I got rushed over to labour ward. And at Labor Ward, they put one of the fetal scalp monitors on Dempsey's head and that's when they went. I was 10 centimetres, but that's when they said he's in distress and it was a lights and siren emergency. Yeah. So, they, you know, I was on a trolley and they were literally running down the hospital hallway. Mm. That doesn't happen that often.
1: Look, it doesn't happen that often because usually we can...
0: You're being <laughs> tiptoeing around <laughs> here, aren't you? Usually
1: we can identify a problem earlier. Mm. And the way to do that is with appropriate levels of fetal monitoring. And mm. I say appropriate because for some people, nothing or almost nothing mm. is appropriate. But let's say that for some reason, we think there's a problem like the meconium, then then we want the monitoring on continuously. Mm. And the whole idea is identifying a problem before it becomes a lights and mm. sirens emergency. And that gives an opportunity to, to do a little bit of what we call, you know, in utero resuscitation. Oh, yeah. So you can, you can do a lot to help while you're getting organized. If we're going to theater for a trial of instrumental or theater for a cesarean section, then while you get organized, we might run some fluids through to the mother. Mm. If we've been giving a syntosin on infusion and that seems to be part of the problem that the uterus yeah. has been overstimulated, then we might stop it. Yeah. We can put some oxygen on mum, we can tilt get mum off her back and tilt her onto her side. Mm. And other things that all help with the oxygenation of the baby. Yeah, right. And at that situation the fetal heart rate trace might improve. Yeah occasionally it improves so, so much, much you can keep going. that you can keep going. Yeah. yeah. But let's say that doesn't happen. At least it means that the baby's in relatively good condition mm. while we get organised. Yeah. If we're five or six centimetres and we're way too far from home, then a caesarean section would be a routine thing to do. If we're 10 centimetres and the baby's in a terrific position for an instrumental birth, then that would be the smartest thing to do.
0: Yep. Yeah. There's two questions I think we haven't covered. One you said that you're trying to move away from the term distressed. How do you give that news? Mm,
1: uh, not sure. I'd probably say something like I suspect there's a problem with the baby. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that we, again, that we can share with the patients that there is a degree of uncertainty here. Yeah. Yeah. So suspect isn't a bad word because every obstetric carer has had the situation where you think a baby is in real trouble mm. and you do an emergency delivery and the baby comes out totally fine. Yeah. Okay, so there is a degree of uncertainty here and that's something that I don't have a problem sharing with a patient. Mm. It's imp- like i say, it's impossible to know for sure. Mm. Yeah. And then I think it's important too not to just drop that bombshell onto somebody and then say, well, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> see you later. Very quickly, you've got to move on to, so yeah, h- here's, here's, what I, plan. here's what I propose we do about it. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. The other thing that the poster asked us was, what should a baby's heart rate be at that time?
1: Well, there's a normal range mm. and that's sort of marked on the paper as it comes out of the mm. uh, machine. But the abnormalities tend to be if the fetal heart rate is way too high mm-hmm. or there are types of deceleration which are normal. Yep. For example, the one seen when a contraction just squishes the baby's head a little bit. Yeah, right. And one's seen when the contraction squishes the cord a little bit. okay, And and they're normal. And we spend a lot of time with our junior docs and our junior midwives. We start with normal, Mm. okay? And these days, learning about interpretation of a CTG involves actually a pretty high-level understanding Mm. of what's called fetal physiology, how it works, Mm. why does the heart rate go up or down, and it's only through having a really good understanding about how the fetus physiology, the function of the baby's heart, lungs, and brain in labour, that you can really get a good handle then on the pathology, Mm -hmm. on on what's happening when things are abnormal.
0: So, you know, for this particular mum, when she was asking her husband to look at the heart rate every five minutes or whatever, that wasn't as useful. No, it's it's, it's not as useful. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. But it's all that a labouring mum might have. Like, she can't interpret a CTG Yes,
1: yes. So if I walk into the room Mm. and the couple are fixated on what's coming out of the machine Mm. i don't like that yeah i think we've lost the battle a little bit or not perhaps not lost but that's a problem because i think the woman and her key support person should be focused on the normal things in labor, Mm. the breathing, the pain relief plan. Things they
0: do have control over. Things they
1: do have control over, exactly. And I think it's the interpretation of the CTG is the job of the carers, Mm. the medical midwifery carers. Mm. Uh, So um, by all means, patients should be aware of what that machine is and what it does, Mm. but I don't like seeing people fixed on that. You can't be fixated on that and doing all the other things that we know go well in labour.
0: Yeah. I do remember being on a CTG for my VBAC with my second, and I did get a bit fixated because I liked looking at the contractions.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And how big
0: they were, and you can sort of see them come. VBAC's
1: another good example, actually. We use continuous CTG with VBACs because sometimes the first sign that the scar from the previous caesarean section is being overly stretched or coming undone is an abnormality in the fetal heart rate trace. yeah. So, that's another situation where, where a continuous fetal heart rate trace is appropriate or even compulsory. Yes. Yeah.
0: All right. I want to just finish with what this poster actually went on to say. Mm. And that was that, you know, it's been 18 months since she had a baby, but she still holds the trauma of that. Yes. And she made a really good point in that she's seeing a psychologist to debrief to help her sort of move past that so she can feel more comfortable about her baby that she's growing right now. Mm. Um, And I just think, you know, congratulations to her because that's the plan, isn't it? If you're holding on to any sort of – I know that's a bit off topic of uh, my Mm. baby's distress, but this is why people hold on to things. I know,
1: right. So, it just shows the really – it's fascinating, the difference in people's perspectives Mm. because from the point of view of the – say, the midwife discovered that abnormal fetal heart rate Mm. pattern and it's a public – unit. she called the resident, the junior doc, and they went, yes, I agree. This doesn't look quite right. I'll call resident And the registrar's person, you know, the the more senior doc who can come and do something. So the senior doc swings in, gets forceps out, pulls a baby out, hands the baby to the mother, the baby's alive, and that doc goes off to five other phone calls that they've just had while they were doing that forceps, going, aren't I a champion? Didn't that go well? Didn't that go well, well? Yeah. yeah. And the patients there going that was the worst thing that's ever happened yeah. to me. I've got PTSD and I'm in therapy. Yes, And this is perspective, right? Yeah. So we need to keep our mind open to the patient. The non-expert will experience that differently. Mm. Yeah.
0: Mm. On both sides. So it's the healthcare provider in the first place and the mother having an open mindset. So, yeah, I think yeah. That if we get the terminology just a little bit more gentle, I know the medical terminology has to be Correct, for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Sometimes it has an impact on somebody's experience of that event. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But, mm. and, and I think it starts with education. Mm. I think most people want to know more.
0: Yes, exactly. And to your point, I'm absolutely certain that everybody in that room, when I was having my emergency cesarean with my first – would have felt, thank God we saved this baby or thank God that this went well and here's this, you know, baby on, on mum's chest. Mm. But, yeah, you're right, I didn't hold on to that, the little things that were said to me through that time because I didn't learn anything about caesarean. That was not happening to me. I was having a vaginal birth. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, well, that's <laughs> yeah. the problem, isn't it, because there is a, there's an idea and it might be why we've kept some of these realities to ourselves. There's an idea from patients and maybe even from medical people that if we talk about it, it's more likely to happen. Mm. And, of course, I don't believe that for a moment. I don't think that you knowing about the existence of forceps and vacuums for a moment increases the chance of you having one.
0: No, it may just increase your chance of better birth satisfaction. Well, yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, because… You know, if you have an instrumental birth for your first baby in Australia in 2020, that's just part of it. Mm. You may or may not consider that to be uh, exactly how you want it to happen. But in the vast majority of cases, it'll be a wise decision. It'll be wisely recommended to you in the circumstances that have developed. Mm. And the outcomes will be excellent.
0: Yeah. Your little baby on your chest. There's nothing like it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope that has helped everybody. I know this is probably one – I hope everybody listens to this one because, you know, it's one of those terms that could be used in your labour and birth, hopefully not. And he's wishing you lots of luck. And until next time. All the best, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye now.